Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. The Pooch Parenting Podcast has been on a bit of a hiatus, but we are back. In today's episode, I interview Beth Berkobian, the founder of Rehab Your Rescue. We discuss a few case studies in which we support dogs in making good choices and learning to stay behind a barrier so that we can keep dogs, toddlers, and babies safe, and most importantly, so that we can support their parents in feeling good about parenting their kids and dogs at the same time. Enjoy. Beth, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on the Pooch Parenting Podcast. Absolutely. I'm excited. Well, you are here because you are an incredible dog trainer. And even though you're not a child specialist, you can help us with some super important things that often happen with families who've got kids and dogs. So what we're going to talk about I'm going to just give a little brief overview and then I'll have you introduce yourself, is the concept of how we can train dogs to be comfortable behind a barrier because barriers are part of life when you're juggling kids and dogs. And we'll talk about a couple of case studies, which I think are going to be awesome. And you're going to just talk about sort of the training perspective and I can throw in the kid perspective, but I want our listeners to just feel some relief. I want them to feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Their dog doesn't constantly have to be on the wrong side of the barrier. And um, anyway, I, I want them to feel like there is hope for this crazy circus. But before we dive in, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll get started. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to be here. My name is Beth Berkovian and I am the owner and behavior consultant with Rehab Your Rescue Behavior Services in Dallas, Texas. I have a master's in animal behavior from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm certified in separation anxiety, and I specialize in the rescue dog, um, which, of course, proposes their own sets of challenges. And I have um, plenty of clients that have kids and dogs and cats. So it's fun kind of juggling all of those aspects. It certainly is. So you know what this can be like. I mean, you throw a cat into the mix with the wrong kind of dog. I say wrong in like air quotes, the kind that wants to chase it or eat it. And you have another challenge that's happening in terms of like just another thing that poor parents who are tired have to manage. And it can be so hard and overwhelming. Yeah, it really can be. And even though I don't have children, I can still um, empathize with kind of what's going on. Um, I think sometimes raising a puppy feels like it's a child. Um, And I just got done raising a puppy and I know I lost a lot of sleep. (laughs) Um, But even though I don't have children myself, I've certainly done a lot of research and I have plenty of colleagues that I fall back on like you. Um, When I do have a new baby in the home for clients, uh, I make sure I fall back on those specialists. I love that. I love that we have a village. I think that's super important. I have people that I go to also for that. There are a few of us, there's not very many who um, can do it. But honestly, at the end of the day, if you're a parent and a dog trainer, then you already have more insight than a lot of other people. So it's 
not rocket science, but it does take a lot of empathy. You know, I think that's really the number one thing that that specialty requires is somebody who's really going to be able to virtually hug the parents. I mean, I see my clients over video, um, but who can virtually hug the parents and make them feel like you're going to make everything okay again, because they're just so exhausted. All right. So let's dive in with a case study. So I'm going to share one of mine and then you're going to share one of yours. So um, this is a woman, the loveliest, most devoted woman. She's got a Doberman puppy who is now about five and a half months old, lovely dog, very kind and silly and full of shenanigans, but not a mean bone in his body. Um, She has a, I think her son is three or four. I think he's three and she has a baby. Um, So like, like four months old. So whenever I see her, whenever I see her on video, she's wearing the baby and juggling um, this very athletic puppy on top of the two littles. And um, we have set up a great system where we have a kid safe, a kid zone, and we are working on a puppy zone. But the problem that we're facing is that the puppy zone doesn't stay a puppy zone because the puppy jumps out of it because he's so athletic and agile that he hops over. So I have an idea and we have talked about some plans for how to motivate him to stay on his side of the barrier. Um, But I want you to walk us through what she can do so that we can help other people who are in a similar situation. Yeah, absolutely. So the very first thing I would do is I would make his area really spectacular and an area he wants to stay in and an area he wants to be in. So I would have lots of fun things for him to do in there. I would have a really nice comfy cozy area for him to be in. I would have a crate that we could, if the puppy can crate, if he doesn't have any confinement issues. He can. Yeah, he can. Great. Yep. Then I would want to have a crate back there too, so that if all else fails, we can do a verbal cue to the crate um, and then walk and shut the door. So I'd work really hard on a verbal cue um, to the crate. In the meantime, we could back tie. Um, so if we if we had to and the puppy was going over all the time, we could always back tie, um, which would which means that we would take I like to take a uh, harness that has a back clip. But if all you have is like an easy walk harness, I just did it for my clients as I took that easy walk harness, I flipped it upside down and put the attachment on the back um, and I clipped it to there. And so then I took a leash that's a pretty sturdy leash or if your dog is a chewer, then I would get, you know, like an outside tether that they can't chew through. And then all I did was I went to their bathroom door, hooked it around the handle on the inside of the bathroom door, and then closed it so that they couldn't, like, it wouldn't slip off the handle on the other side or pop off the handle. Um, And that kept the dog, that would keep the puppy on that side of the tether, of the barrier. The other thing I would think about doing is, like, a treat system, um, like a manners minder um, or a treat and train where you could set that at a distance and you could teach your puppy um, when he approaches the barrier, we hit that button. And, we're, and then he's like, oh, wait, moving away from the barrier gives me food. Um, and that would help get build some of that staying in that barrier and rewarding for not hopping over, removing from moving away. So those are just some of the things. And lick it mats. I love lick it mats. If, if they're not a destroyer, I would do a lick it mat. I would take a lick it mat and stick a couple of them to the wall um, varying, um, degrees of, um, value. So like maybe one is dog food, maybe one's peanut butter, or maybe one's, um, cream cheese or whatever that dog finds a really high value. Cause the dog decides what's value, not us. 
Um, so we have to figure out what is his value system and making it really exciting over there, because especially with a toddler, it's going to be really exciting over on this side of, of the barrier. And we don't want them to be like, oh, let's go play with the toddler when he's probably putting teeth on the toddler because he's also a toddler. So I just make it really interesting over on his side of the world. Yeah, I mean, your perception is so helpful because you know that a toddler playing Lego on the floor is pretty much the best thing there is, right? Because I think that this young dog sees the toddler as another puppy and he's fun and he's noisy and he wrestles and he's he's a super cool kid, but the dog sees that and, and yeah. wants to be around him. So let me just reiterate a couple of things that you said because they were money, basically. They were amazing. So a tether slash back tie where the dog has a limited range of movement and yeah. literally can't go beyond a certain distance because it's tied up. Um, I do want to say that one thing I add to that generally is just, again, to make sure there is a barrier because I never want a dog to be approached without their consent. So I would never tether a dog to something where the child can access that dog because that's not fair to anybody. But what you said in this context is exactly perfect because it's already behind a barrier and you're just incentivizing them to stay on that side of the barrier. You're saying, oh, you're having trouble. I see you're having trouble. The natural consequence is I'm going to prevent you from being able to jump over in the first place, right? Yeah, and prevention is always key. Um, And I think one more thing I would add is a a taller. Like if they only have one that's hip height, let's get a tall one. Let's get one of those ones that is, you know, waist height or taller and that they're not going to be as apt to go over. And for my very athletic English setter puppy, I have two barriers. So I did a gate that's hip high, and then I did an X-pen that is um, chest height on me, and that is enough for him. That just visual of it being up higher than the other gate, he was like, okay, I won't go over anymore. So sometimes you have we a pen in front. So you yeah. have a pen in front of a gate. Okay. I do. Okay, that's really, really good. And I also like that you pointed out that the dog is the one who chooses the value of the reward. Always. Because, so I'm really quick side story as an example i was trying to teach pippin an emergency recall cue and i thought well i very rarely cook chicken for him and so the chicken must be incredible and so i cooked the chicken i shredded the chicken i had a container and we went out and we had been practicing at home he thought it was super i used the special cue and gave him the chicken like only the chicken for that cue and then i took it out on a trail He was on a long line, so I wasn't at risk of him not actually coming, but he literally spit it out, like literally spit it out. And I was like, "Mm, okay, he does not think this treat is very good. The environment is better for him than this chicken. So I like that you pointed out having different values of treats. Sometimes our dogs surprise us with what they actually like. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Okay. So... How long? Let's talk logistics. I mean, we're not going to keep the dog tied up forever, and we're certainly not going to keep the dog crated forever. I do know that for this particular client, the crate 
has been her method of last resort because she's so frazzled and the dog will now comfortably go in the crate. And so because the dog won't leave the crate, that's been what she needs to do some of the time. But she really wants the dog to have a space rather than be in a box. Um, And I'm not dissing crates. I think there's definitely use for them, but I don't want the puppy to be living its life in a crate because that's not why she got a puppy. And she knows that. She wants the puppy to be part of the family. So how do we juggle? How do we juggle how much time the dog would be on a tether or a back tie versus maybe having family time or maybe being loose in their, their zone without being tied. Does that question make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I would build the puppy being loose in its zone without any distractions over on the other side to start. So when it's nap time, the puppy's loose. When it's nap time for toddler and baby, then it's time for a puppy to be loose in its zone where you can reinforce and you can pay attention to the puppy. And if the puppy starts barreling towards the gate, you can maybe hit that manners minor. And then he goes, Oh, it's more reinforcing to stay over here. Um, and that, you know, there's an, uh, other things we can think about doing that. If it may be sending the dog to daycare once or twice a week, if it's, if it's a dog that can go to daycare um, and an ethical one that has the appropriate amount of handlers to dogs, um, just thinking of sending the puppy to daycare so that we are balancing the puppy's needs alongside our our kids' needs and our own needs because we also need rest and downtime. So we can't just worry about baby puppy, baby puppy. We have to manage ourselves too. Um, I would say, you know, no more than an hour on a tether um, because we also want to give them, and if if they're really struggling on the tether, we'd want to do a lot less. So in the beginning, we probably want to start five, 10 minutes on the tether and then some free time and then some great time. And then just keep repeating and keep extending that out. Um, and each individual dog is going to determine how we build a plan. So let's just say that this puppy's super comfortable on a tether right from the get-go. Then yeah, I'd probably stick it on the tether. If the puppy keeps, you know, rabbiting over the, the gate, then yeah, I'd stick the puppy on the tether and keep him on the tether while still reinforcing with some Cheerios or whatever while we're walking by with the toddler. Or even if the toddler has enough dexterity and can understand, yeah, go throw the puppy some Cheerios, we could also include the toddler in that. As long as we're not having any food issues. If we're having food issues with the puppy, then we would never wanna include the toddler in it. But if the puppy is like pretty amiable, like my English setter, then yeah, I would like, yeah, go ahead, little Jimmy, toss some Cheerios over. Um, making sure that, you know, of course, we can give the puppy what he needs because it's still a young dog. So we do want to make sure that we're getting enough exercise, we're getting enough enrichment, and we're taking care of all of those needs on top of, you know, tethering and training in that little area. And then I would do some puppy time out with the puppy on a drag lead. So if the puppy has a good solid, say, touch cue, so that if you see the puppy barreling toward the toddler, you can go, I don't touch. And he flies over and touches your hand instead of targeting little Jimmy. Um, Or you could also back tie to a a piece of furniture if you want to have some toddler time out with the puppy too. Uh, We do want to include family time. And I would say, you know, a couple, you know, 20, 30 minutes of family time if the puppy is comfortable with baby wearing um, and all of that, uh, I'd want to desensitize to that first. Or if we can work on a good, solid um, relaxation on a mat, that's always a really good time to work um, baby puppy time is puppy gets to stay on the mat. Mom can, you know, rock baby in the sling and then working on mat stays. Yeah, I love 
that you said that because I I was going to mention, you know, my dog right now is on a raised bed and I am working on his podcast behavior because I've created a monster during podcasts when I do these interviews that he becomes very demanding. And so I am trying a new strategy today where I'm saying, you know what, I'm going to give you something I want you to do instead of sitting, whining, barking, wandering around the room, right? So what you're talking about is something that I love, which is that we want to have, you know, like in the gym back in the day, and maybe they still do this, they're those circuits, you know, where it's like gas stations, exactly. So I think of living with a puppy very much like circuit training or station training where it's like, okay, we're going to have some outdoor time. Then we're going to have some nap time. Then we're going to have some food and other time, then some designated training time, then snuggle time, right? And we're constantly going through and doing a variety of things because the dog is a living, breathing, sentient creature who has lots of needs, some of which are for love and snuggles and some of which are for structure because just like toddlers, a puppy without structure in their day is going to have more tantrums and bite more than one that doesn't have structure. And so saying, this is nap time and you can nap either here or here. Those are your only two choices, right? So, so giving structure within love, loving boundaries, shall I say, I think that's a great way to parent kids and to parent dogs, you know? Um, So what you're saying is, is perfect. And it exactly jives with who I am as a mom and who I am as a trainer that there are times of the day, like when you're trying to cook dinner that the dog just has to be somewhere that's not chasing your kids or under your feet. Yeah. It's just, you have to, there's no choices. Yeah. I mean, not to dive off into a methodology conversation, but positive reinforcement doesn't equal permissive. It just equals that we are going to do it without, you know, really conflict. So I'm not going to be permissive just because I'm using a positive method. I just want to do it in the, in the less conflicting way possible for the dog and the child and the human, because I don't want it to be, you know, conflicting for the human as well. And for the, for the human parent, because that's what I find is so much guilt. You know, one of my own clients had so much guilt around putting a dog behind a barrier. And I was like, absolutely not. No, 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 no. We need to, this dog doesn't know what this being is that's come into this home. And if they think it's an alien, and so now we have to we have to teach him that this alien belongs here and we need to build apathy. So the only way to do that is by giving him his own space and then bringing him in slowly and showing him that this new thing is to be ignored while he's tiny. And then we can start to incorporate them together. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really super because it is apathy is a good goal. People get worried and they say, my dog doesn't care about my baby. And I'm like, that's goals. That's really good. That's actually what you want. And they're like, really? I want them to be best friends. And I say, well, they can be over time, but your baby is going to go through developmental changes as it ages. So in the beginning, my husband calls it the larval stage where they don't really do anything then is the real tricky part after when the larva starts to roll around and move and crawl and do all the things. Um, 
that is a very challenging time for dogs. But what's also challenging for dogs during the larval stage is that you are not your best because you're tired and you're all adapting to this new thing. So even though the baby itself is not necessarily a problem for the dog in the very beginning, the lifestyle change is. And I see a lot of people, actually, let me just throw this in here real quick and see what you, what you would have to say. I see this a lot um, where people will say that the dog has suddenly... Um, started to regress in terms of house training that, um, I have a newborn, my newborn's 15 days old and my perfectly behaved house trained dog, um, is now peeing and pooping in the house. What is going on? Um, and that's in my opinion, a, a stress response to a very large shift in, um, you know, what's happening in the family dynamic. What would you tell this client from your perspective? Yeah, and I, I agree. There's so many emotions rolling around when you've just had a baby. Uh, I, I can't even imagine. I've, I've seen it plenty with my clients, and I know it's exhausting, and I know it's overwhelming. Um, I would tell that client, it's okay. Um, they're stressed. You're stressed. Everything's changing. Even though it feels like your routine is staying the same, it's not. You're getting up at multiple hours of the day. You've maybe changed where the dog is sleeping. You've maybe changed the dog's access. You've changed so many things in the dog's life that if this is the first baby and the dog has never seen um, this creature before, they're going to be like, "What? what is this? So, you know, equate it to when you first moved in with your, with your spouse. Um, you didn't sleep well or anytime you move into a new house, you don't sleep well. Your routine isn't the same. You're not getting enough sleep. You're probably not drinking enough water. You're probably not eating enough or what you're eating is junk and everything kind of goes to pot, right? And you start falling apart and mentally and emotionally. That's what's happening with your dog. So if we can step back and put a little bit of structure back into place, maybe follow that, lock that puppy down a little bit. Like, okay, we're only allowed to be in this space. We're only allowed to be over here. Put some potty pads back down. Some people don't like to use them. I don't mind them so much. Um, and then get yourself on a little bit of a schedule again and be like, okay, dad, aunt, mom, whoever, partner, I need you to help me get this dog back on, on path. And honestly, I see it like it may happen three, four times in the first week. And then once the routine starts to settle back in, the dog also settles back in and goes, oh, okay, this is a change. I mean, it happens the same when you bring a new rescue dog in or a new puppy in, the same thing happens. Um, it happened when I brought my puppy in, one of my older dogs um, started potting in the house because the puppy was potting in the house. So it was like, oh, we can all potty here. No. And so we just had to go back to structure for everybody for a little bit and then, you know, loosen the reins back up again. I love that. I love Thank that. you. What about your case study? Tell us a little bit about your client and what was happening with their young littles that they have in their house. Yeah, so first time mom, um, first time parents, uh, they have a rescue dog that is a boxer pitbull mix. Um, they've had him for about a year. Um, he has some anxiety. He has some reactivity. Um, he, he is just a generalized anxious dog. We've been working really hard together on the reactivity and his reactivity for towards dogs, not really humans. Um, but the mom was getting nervous as we were getting closer and closer and closer to the baby being born. And so we put some things in place and we worked on, and I kept telling them, I'm not about, I'm not a baby expert, but here's the things that I've learned from my colleagues and what we would do. 
Um, and so they they did a few, you know, playing some baby sounds and they started acclimating him. We moved him from the bedroom down to the office in a crate uh, about three months before the baby arrived. Um, that helped a lot. So he was acclimated to sleeping down in their office instead of, you know, with them, which he was used to. Um, baby came home, I think on a Wednesday, dog was at boarding um, and then dog came home Saturday at 5 p.m. I probably got a phone call at nine at 8 a.m. Sunday morning <laughs> from dad freaking out that um, the dog had growled at the baby and they have to rehome the dog. And I was like, okay, deep breath. Let's talk through this. Let's talk through what's going on. Let's talk through where we have him. Let's talk through what's happening. Um, and I said, all right, what time can I come over to your house? And they're like, what, it's Sunday. And I'm like, I understand. What time can I come over to your house? And let's get some things in place because I don't want you to struggle until I can see you on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, we set a time. I went over to 11 a.m. The very first thing I did, I called a dog and baby specialist. That's a colleague friend of mine. Um, I sent her a text. I'm like, I need help. I have to put a plan together. What do I do? And I, it wasn't for some reason, and I think it was because I had night coffee. It wasn't clicking for me the plan to put into place. And I'm sorry that I'm going to equate it to this, but she said, treat it like it's a cat. And I went, oh, I can do that. Because I put cat and dog plans into place all the time. And so I was like, yep, I got it now. I understand. Um, so that's exactly what we did. I called the dad back and I said, do you have an X pen, uh, a exercise pen or gates? And he goes, yes. And I said, that hallway area in your home, going to your office, I want you to put it up there and that's going to be, um, Bob's area. And they're like, okay, great. And that's where I want Bob to be when I get there. Perfect. And so Bob has a really big response to me. Bob loves me. So when we... When I got there, I had them let him out in the yard. Bob and I played a little bit and so that I could defeat, get some of his energy to come down. And then that's exactly what I did is I took his harness, I flipped it upside down. I did a, I showed him how to do a back tie and then I showed him how to send him away from the gate. And so, cause Bob would get really like every time mom came near the gate with baby, Bob would get really over aroused. So I would just send Bob away from the gate and be like, okay, Bob, let's move away from the gate when baby approaches. So then he got to the point where mom would walk towards the gate and Bob would move away. Yeah. And then he started getting a little anxious and he wasn't settling because he's a very anxious dog. So I said, I think we need to talk to your vet about putting, getting some help. And so we did. We, they talked to their vet. We got some pharmaceuticals on board, which don't ever feel like you can't do that. Like if your dog is truly struggling and you're truly struggling, call your vet. And especially if your behavior professional says, Hey, I think this would help get us through and help build a plan and just bring him down a little bit because Bob wasn't used to being away from his family. So when we separated and Bob was like, dad, where did you go? You know, it was very stressful for him. Then we got a manners minder. And so it's a little treat and train device. You press the little button, treats come out and we set it at the back of the room. And when Bob would get upset about baby, when they were on the other side of the room, we just pressed the manners minor. So baby fussing equated food for Bob, which created a condition, a positive condition, emotional response towards baby. So right. Good. So that's every time baby would squawk, we'd either throw treats or hit the manners minor every time. So then he was like, oh, baby squats, I get food. This is great. And then we were able to start weaning that down. And then we just put a plan in place. And I'm like, okay, you need a nap, Bob goes in crate. 
you want to spend time with baby, Bob goes behind gate. You want to, uh, and then we started carrying ba baby and Bob being on a mat um, and teaching Bob to keep all four feet on the floor. And we just worked on that very slowly. And then I handed him off to a, a professional um, that specializes in dogs and babies because that's not my specialty. And so I think it's really important for trainers to stay in their, in their niche. Um, and I could have done it, but would I have given them the best version? Absolutely not. So I handed them off and now they're doing amazing. Um, and they still check in with me and still tell me how amazing they're doing. And they're grateful. They're grateful that I said, not me, here's this expert, but I'll still support you. So I could have said, oh no, this isn't me. I'm not gonna help you. But as trainers, we know how to at least get the basics in place for everything. Like we can just give you the basics and then stop gap you till you can get to a professional. And if a trainer tells you they know everything, run from them. Yes. <laughs> right. the hills. And a lot of us love collaborating. Like that's yeah. totally my jam. I send people constantly to reactive experts and separation anxiety experts and, you know, whatever the issue might be, because we can't be good at everything and we can pick one little thing yeah. um, that we tend to have a knack for. And we have smart friends. I yeah. think that's one thing that I love so much, especially about hosting this podcast is that I feel like now I have this huge arsenal of experts, whether it's parenting experts, gentle parenting, mindset, you, you know, like yeah. Matt, anybody, some of our friends are just brilliant. And I love that I can say, oh my gosh, can you help me with this client? Or can you see them virtually? Like, just like you said, sometimes we need somebody who's going to coach us through the initial steps yes. and then we hand them off to somebody else. I love that you talked about that. I think that's really, really good. And also just to address the idea that an, one negative interaction doesn't mean you have to get rid of your dog. Yes. You love your dog. We know that. And it's terrifying. You created this little creature. You, you developed it inside your body for almost 10 months yes. and it's terrifying to think that something could happen to this yes. new baby. Um, but you also love your dog and yes. there often is a way to find, yeah. uh, I don't know, harmony between them. Sometimes there's not. Right. And in that case, you need to work with yeah. a professional who is going to cry with you and sit with you and have a really hard conversation with you. Yeah. And sometimes that's what needs to happen. But we will help you look at where I'm really good. And you, I'm sure you are too. I'm a list maker. I'm like, what are the pros? What are the cons? Yeah. What are the risks? What's your liability? What are you comfortable with? What would you be guilty about? Let's yeah. work through these feelings. Yeah. And that's exactly where Bob's mom was at is she was postpartum and had a, had a relatively tough labor. I think she was in labor for like 50 or 60 hours. Oh um, yeah. So it wasn't like a super smooth, you know, baby popped out and life was good. So <laughs> I was like, I know it was tough for her. So I get there and she's like, I am terrified. And I, and more than anything, what we can do as professionals. So any professionals that are listening to this validate that, like, I get it. You're terrified that this little human that you've just created is in danger. And I said to her, if you want me to take Bob right now, I'll take him. I will take him right now. I will take care of him and we'll figure out where to go from there. And if you need a break from Bob, I got it. 
I will do it. And I know not every professional can do that, but I, I, I knew Bob well enough that I knew he would be okay in my home with my dogs. I said, if, he, if the decision is he needs to move on to another home, okay, we will figure out how to do that. There is no shame coming from me. There is not me telling you you're a bad human doing that. And, and of course, she sobbed, I cried, dad cried. We all had, you know, big feelings about it. I, but I said, do me a favor. Let's give it two weeks. And if in two weeks we see zero improvement and you still feel that your baby's in danger, we can, I will work with you and I will take Bob and we'll figure out what we're doing. But if we can get Tiffany Baker from Boss Babes on board and get her moving forward, get, get a plan moving forward for him, then great, let's do that. But if you feel like that's too much, okay, I'll take him right now that I want to give that option and never make somebody feel like their dog. And yes, I know there's, I'm probably going to get some messages about this. How can you ethically do that? Easy. Because we sometimes have to make the best decision for the family and maybe for the dog. The best option would be removing the dog from the family and finding him somewhere without kids. Maybe he's a dog that truly wasn't going to fit in with kids. Like, I, I deal in rescue that happens all the time. And we as humans want to vilify that. Oh my God, you got rid of your dog. Okay. Like, yeah, sometimes you have to. It's okay. Let's not vilify people's choices and decisions. And and I, I'm big in rescue. I have five. It's like we have to do, we have to do what is right for us and ignore everyone else. And so I, thankfully, Bob is uh, the baby's a month old. Bob's doing fabulous. He is adjusting wonderfully, but it's still, if something were to happen, it's still on the table and Tiffany would still support them through it. And that's the most important thing. I think more than anything as professionals, we have to R plus our clients as much as we do our dogs, because if we expect a behavior change, if we accept a behavior change in a dog, we can do it in our humans too. That's so important. Treating the humans with the same level of love and patience yes. that we do with the dogs, that yes. that we have to love both ends of the leash and nurture them both. Is oh, for sure. sure. And any trainer that doesn't make you feel that way is probably not somebody that you want to keep working with. Somebody right. that's judging you or making you feel guilty because you didn't do your homework. I mean, yeah, if you want really great progress, you're going to practice, but you can still probably, dogs are so amazing. You can probably make practice with minimal effort. I mean, I talk a lot. I, I know this sounds absurd and I know it's not going to make insane behavior change, but I often talk about training your dog when you're on the toilet <laughs> because I know it seems insane, but I even have a photo of this, I which I haven't shared yet, but I just took the photo the other day of a jar of treats on the back of my toilet because I just want people to realize that it could just take three minutes of time every once in a while that we can practice little things when we're sitting there trapped and have nothing else to do. Like when you're on the toilet, I mean, some of us are on our phones, but you put your phone down and you train your dog instead while you're on the toilet, that little tiny doable practices make a big impact. It doesn't have to be a training class. It doesn't have to be a marathon training session. I mean, my dog, I did a little training session with him yesterday. It probably lasted seven minutes and he took a hard nap. 
after yeah. yeah. It it didn't take much because they're engaged. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I think it's I think it's interesting. And I think so many people think that in order to do a training session, you need 20 or 30 minutes. I ask my clients to give me five to 10 minutes a day, and that's it. Five to 10 minutes. Now, when you, if, if any, if anyone ever works with me and you see my very first email, you go, oh my God, because it has, you know, it's 14 pages long and it has a ton of information in it, but I chunk it down so that you can take it in little bites of the elephant. I always think I equate it back to college. So if I crammed the night before for my test, I retained nothing. But if I studied every day for 20 minutes up until that test, I retained that information. So it's the same thing with our dog. If we're just doing little bits every day, one or two sessions, five, 10 minutes, they're going to retain it and they're going to learn it so much faster and they're going to progress so much faster than if we're just throwing everything at them at once. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. Well, in respect of our listeners, I think we are going to wrap this up because again, Shorter is sometimes better. Uh, This was so helpful, Beth. I really appreciate you talking to us about this. I think it's going to help people realize that there are a lot of options that um, they don't just have to put a baby gate up and hope for the best, hope the dog is calm on the other side. I think there's a lot of steps that we can do to help families to use gates or barriers as one of many forms of management so that they can just cope cope with daily life. So I think this has been so useful and I really appreciate your generosity with your expertise in training. And I feel really lucky that I count you as one of the people that I can come to for advice. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yes. All right. I appreciate your time. Thank you. So, oh, before I forget, I almost forgot. Where can everyone find you? I'm at Rehab Your Rescue everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, I have joined the TikTok, so if you'd like to come support me over there, um, rehab your rescue pretty much everywhere. Okay, well, TikTok is a rabbit hole, and I usually end up laughing so hard I almost pee my pants every time I go on TikTok. So um, now you've given me an excuse to go yeah. to go back on. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. Thank you so much, Beth. We'll You're talk welcome. To you Thank you for having me. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on the podcast app of your choice. For ongoing support, get on the wait list for the Pooch Parenting Society, where I share training tips, activities, and coaching so families with dogs can live in harmony. By signing up at safekidsanddogs.com, you'll be the first to know when I open registration again for new members.